1 Kings chapter 20. If you're joining us, just to kind of give you an update where we're at, Ahab is the king of Israel. By this point in Israel's history, Israel has split. The northern ten tribes are known as Israel. The two southern tribes are known as Judah. We've been focusing on Israel for the last couple of uh, meetings. And uh, we've talked about Elijah, the prophet. He's already called down the fire on the, on the prophets of Baal, the prophets of Baal have been, uh, been killed. Ahab is the king. His wife is Jezebel. God is pursuing Ahab, and Ahab doesn't seem to be interested in turning to the things of the Lord. And tonight we're going to see as the king of Syria comes and he attacks, uh, a- attacks uh, Israel and King Ahab. So we'll pick up in chapter 20, verse 1. Now Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his forces together. Thirty-two kings were with him, with horses and chariots, and he went up, to, went up and besieged Samaria, and he made war against them. Remember, Samaria was now the capital city of Israel. It was bought by Ahab's father, Omri, and uh, that talked about back in 1 Kings chapter 16. And now we have this guy, Ben-Hadad. He's very uh, powerful, and he's got a lot of support with him. We read there's 32 kings of the different providences or little areas around there, and they're all coming up against Israel. In verse 2, it says he sent messengers into the city to Ahab, to king, the king of Israel. And he said to him, thus says Ben-Hadad. Kind of like the Lord would say something. Thus says the Lord, right? Thus says Ben-Hadad. Your silver and your gold are mine. Your loveliest wives and children are mine. And the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king, just as you say, I and all that I have are yours. And the messengers came back and said, Thus speaks Ben-Hadad. Indeed, I have sent to you, saying, You shall deliver to me your silver and your gold, your wives and your children. But... I will send my servants to you tomorrow about this time and they shall search your house and the houses of your servants and it shall be that whatever is pleasant in your eyes they will put in their hands and take it. Now, did you guys just catch what happened? These Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, and these 32 kings, they kind of come up and they surround Samaria, which is the capital city of, of the northern tribe, the northern ten tribes of Israel at this point. And you can imagine what that would look like if you're in, some, on some, in Samaria and it's a mountain there and, and they're looking out and they see all these people coming against them and they realize, you know what, they're, they're severely outnumbered. And, but this guy Ben-Hadad sends a messenger into the town and he says this, your silver and your gold are mine and your wives and your children, not only your wives, your loveliest wives, your loveliest wives and your children are mine. And the king of Israel says, what? Okay, no big deal. You can have them. That's fine. And he, but he does it in a way where he says, he says, my Lord, O king, just as you say, I and all that I have are yours. Well, then the messenger leaves and he tells Ben-Hadad what he said. And then the messenger comes back and he says it this way. It's almost as if Ben-Hadad goes, wait a minute, I could have got more out of him. I didn't realize this was going to be that easy. I just asked for his wives and his kids, so that was so easy. I'm going I'm to send the messenger back, and I'm going to tell him there's something more that we want there. We're, we're not just going to take his wives and his kids. Instead, what we're going to do, he says in verse 6, uh, I will send my servant to you tomorrow about this time, and they shall search your house and the houses of your servants, and it shall be that whatever is pleasant in your eyes, they will put in their hands, and they take it. So Ben-Hadad basically says to Ahab, listen, 
that was too easy. Not only do I want your loveliest wives and your finest children, I'm going to send my people into your town and they're going to look through your house. And they're going to look through your stuff and they're going to find out the things that they want and they're just going to take it. Now, I'm bothered by the fact that he gave up his wives and his kids so quickly. Maybe that, maybe as you read that, maybe that doesn't bother you, but it bothers me. But it's like the guy, well, your wives and your kids, the gold and silver, okay, but the wives and the kids, they're mine. You know, he goes, okay, no big deal. But then notice what it says in verse six. I'm going to send my servants to you tomorrow about this time. They shall search your house and the houses of your servants. And notice what it says right here. And it shall be that whatever is pleasant in your, who's, who's your there? is Ahab, whoever, whoever, whatever's pleasant in your eyes, they're going to put it in their hands and they're going to take it. So he's okay giving away his wife's and his kids, but now when they come in, they say, well, listen, we're going to go find out what you really, you know, what is it that you really will fight for? If you're giving up your wives and your kids and your gold, and your, there must be something else there. There must be something we're missing. And then Ahab says to them, the king of Israel called the elders of the land and said, Notice, please, and see how this man seeks trouble. For he sent to me for my wives, my children, and my silver, and my gold. I didn't deny him. And all the elders and all the people said to him, do not listen or consent. So after they come back to Ahab and they say, Ahab, we're going to come through your house and we're going to take those things that, that, that are pleasant in your eyes. The things, then he says, no, 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 that's not going to happen. I'm not going to let you have those things. How does a guy go from a place where he will willingly and easily give up his wife or his, in this case, wives and children and not even willing to put up a fight for them, but yet when it comes to the fact that they're going to come in and take something that is pleasant in his eyes, he goes, oh no, you can't go there. You can't have that. How, how deranged, how far does he have to get his priorities out of line before he just simply says, eh, family, I don't care about that. I don't care about that. What is it that he could possibly be defending? Now, the, the general sense of this is that they're coming in and going to take what they want, but I think that the wording there is specific. Whatever is pleasant in your eyes. What is it that was so pleasant in Ahab's eyes that all of a sudden now he puts on the brakes and says, that's, what's, that's worth fighting for? He gets his counsel, the elders come in, they say, no way, we're not giving that, you're not going to come get that, you're not going to come get this or that. What could it have been that was so pleasant in his eyes? What is it that he was so special, so amazing that he would gladly give up his kids as long as he could protect this thing? Well, the truth is we don't know because the scripture doesn't tell us what it was. We could guess, we could say it's idol worship, we could say all kinds of things, but I myself, I am flabbergasted that he has gone so far as to where he will not fight for his family. He's willing to watch his family kiss him goodbye. Goodbye. Go on. You're going with ben dad and the king of Syria and all the other 32 kings. Go on. Have a good life. We'll see you around. He just, go ahead. Walk out the door. No problem there. How does he get, how does that happen? And then I got to thinking about it. And I thought, what about, wait, what about us? Because we always want to apply the scripture to our own life. What about us? What is it that we're fighting for? What is it that as Christians, what is it that we, what, what enemy comes at us? And what enemy says, the enemy comes at us and, and if you're going to follow this or you're going to fight with me, I want your family, but it'll cost you. This. But there's this one thing, if I can just keep this one thing over here, you can have my family. 
And I thought as Christians, we don't do a very good job of fighting for our families oftentimes, do we? Our divorce rate is just as high as the divorce rate of the world. We don't fight for the things or we fight against the things that are coming in to try or steal our family away. Often, not, not saying never, not saying some do, some don't, but I think that when you see this, what, what is it in, in a life? How do we take this scripture and apply it to our lives? And here's what I came up with. Is there something in your life or somebody's life that you would covet, that you would be so protective of, that you would let your family walk away? That's, I'll, I'll let my family go, but just don't come after this thing. And if somebody was to come after this thing, those are fighting words. That we're going to stand up and fight for. Even though we're outnumbered, even though, that we're out, even though there's 32 kings against us, that's what we're going to come after. Scary thought, isn't it? How does a man get to the point where he doesn't care about his family, but yet he'll covet something so great? All of a sudden, when that thing becomes endangered, he calls the counselors, say, what do we do? And he says, and they say, we're not giving it up. We're going to, we're going to fight in that situation. Notice very carefully, it's they're going to take what's pleasant in your eyes. That's what's pleasant in Ahab's eyes. They're going to put it in their hands, and they're going to take it. So now he seeks advice, and they say to him, do not listen or do not consent. Essentially, what are they saying? Go to battle. Fight for it. Don't, that's too much. I'm just floored. That, that I, I, just, I look at this, and I go, you've got to be kidding me. I, I don't see it that way. What is it, I, I, what is it that a man says, I, I don't care about my family? I hope as men that we realize there's a, there's a blessing, there's a, there's a, that, that we're supposed to fight for our families. And that's not only physical protection, but that's against anything else that's coming in to try to stir up or break up your family unit, your husband, your wife, your family, your kids. You know, and too often in our culture, we see men that are wrapped up in things that are, and their families are getting broken up because they're not fighting for them. And I'm not, again, it's not necessarily physically. It's just we're letting all these things come in. What is it that Ahab had? Maybe he had a... 1967 Mustang that was candy apple red and it was a convertible. Maybe he had that and he doesn't care about the family. I'm going to take care of the car. Maybe he had something else, some other personal possession. Is it happening today in our culture? You bet it is. Women aren't fighting for their families. Men aren't fighting for their families. Maybe Ahab had a computer screen and that's what he, was, that's what he possessed. That was his thing. That's my computer screen. You can have my wife and kids, but don't take my computer screen because that's where I find my real enjoyment. Or maybe he had, I don't know, an addiction of some sort. Maybe it was an addiction of some kind. Maybe whatever it might have been, maybe whatever it was. But do you see, all, it, the, the, the mankind hasn't changed. It's the same thing. We've all known people or watched people. Even our own family has been broken up over things of the world when we're fighting the wrong battle. Oftentimes we're fighting with our spouse. They're not the enemy. Your, your husband or your wife, they're not the enemy. The enemy's trying to break up the family. You guys need to keep the families together. We need to be staying together on those things. But Ahab has come to a place of such deranged thing, he doesn't care about his family. But don't take my thing that's pleasure, pleasant in my eyes. Don't take that thing. Those are fighting words. Now, if I was God, I would have zapped him right there. That's it, you're done. Bzz, gone lightning bolt whatever we need to do done gone but that's not what happens look what happens verse uh nah and the verse start in verse eight and the elders and all the people said to him do not listen or consent which means they're going to go to battle verse nine therefore this is he as ahab says to the messenger of ben hadad tell my lord the king all that you sent for to your servant the first time i'll do but this thing i cannot do and the messenger departed and brought back word to him. So he sends him back. He's still trying to negotiate his family away. 
Still saying, all right, you can have them. You can have them. Verse 12, it happened when Ben-Hadad heard this message and he and the kings were drinking at the command post that he said to his servants, get ready. And they got ready to attack the city. So Ben-Hadad didn't like the answer. What's he doing? He's drinking, having a party. The other 32 kings, they're not too worried about the battle. It's only Samaria. It's only, there's not that many people there. They're way outnumbered. It should be a slam dunk. Verse 10, then Ben-Hadad sent to him and said, the gods do so to me and more also if enough dust is left on Samaria for a handful for each of the people who follow me. So the king of Israel answered and said to him, tell him, let not the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off. So after, uh, after Ahab sends back word to him that he's not going to do that, Ben-Hadad says, sends word back to Ahab saying, listen, the gods are going to kill me if I'm going to kill you. Basically, it's, it's, you're, you're done. You're, I'm, I'm going to squish you. I'm going to get rid of you. That's it. You're done. And Ahab sends back a rather wise statement. He says, let not the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who like the one who takes it off. What's that mean? What's that mean? It, mean? it means let the guy who's getting dressed for battle not act like he's already won the battle. He, he's, he's proud, he's arrogant, like the one who's taken off his armor, like the one who's already won the battle. The guy that goes back and takes off his armor, well, he's the one that won the battle. So Ahab says something rather wise. He goes, hey, quit boasting like the one who took, you know, the battle hasn't started yet. And verse 13, suddenly a prophet approached Ahab, king of Israel. Who's the prophet? We're not told. Some people think it could be Elijah or Elisha, but we're not really told. We really don't know that for sure. We're not given the name here. Suddenly a prophet approached Ahab, the king of Israel, saying, thus says the Lord. I like this because early we, earlier we heard, thus says Ben-Hadad. Now we have, thus says the Lord. Let's see who plays out. Thus says the Lord. Have you seen all this great multitude? Now you've got to imagine Ahab goes, uh-huh. I see all the people out there. They're, all, they're, all, they're on the field. There's thousands and thousands of them. I see them. Behold, I will deliver it into your hand today, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So here's a prophet of the Lord, maybe one of the 7,000 that are left in Israel, comes up to Ahab and says, have you seen all the people? Yep, I've seen all the people. And you basically set out the fight in terms. Yep, we're going to fight. But the Lord wants you to know that he's going to deliver them in your hands today. And he's going to tell you why. He wants, you, he wants to deliver them into your hands. So that, how? So that you shall know that I am the Lord. Here's the Lord pursuing Ahab. This is the same guy that's married to Jezebel. This is the same guy that didn't repent when he saw the fire come down on Mount Carmel. This is the same guy that really wants nothing to do, that still wants to be involved in the prophets of Baal. I would have zapped him a long time ago. Would have already happened. But here's the Lord still pursuing him pursuing him. The Lord's still going after him. The Lord's still pursuing him. So Ahab said, the natural question is, by whom? How's this going to happen? How's it going to work? And he said, thus says the Lord, by the young leaders of the providences. And he said, who will set the battle in order? And he answered, you. Imagine that. So the prophet tells Ahab, he said, listen, go gather the young leaders. Let's not do things the way that we've always done them. Get aside the old leaders, let's get the young leaders. And Ahab goes, well, who's going to be the one in charge then? And uh, the prophet says, you are. You're the one that's going to lead the people. That's what your job, your king. Verse 15, then he mustered the young leaders of the providences, and there were 232. And after them, he mustered all the people of the children of Israel, 7,000. So we've got 232 leaders. He's got 7,000 men. Now, I just want to, I'm going to kind of skip ahead a little bit, give you an idea. 
we know that the other side had more than 120,000 men. And you'll know that by the time we get to the end of the chapter. So when I say they're outnumbered, 7,000 to 120,000, they're not just a little bit outnumbered. They're, they're not just a little bit. It, it, they're significantly outnumbered. So verse 16, they went out at noon. Meanwhile, Ben-Hadad and the 32 kings helping him were getting drunk at the command post. Got an alcohol problem here. Verse 17, the young leaders of the provinces went out first. Ben-Hadad sent out a patrol and they told him saying, men are coming out of Samaria. So he said, if they have come out for peace, take them alive. If they have come out for war, take them alive. Now, either that's a mistake because he's been drinking or he's so overly confident that he figures he can just take them alive because he can out severely outnumber them. So even if he were to lose a few in battle, it really wouldn't matter. Either way, either one could be true. His goal here is he says, take them alive. Verse 19, the young leaders of the provinces went out of the city with the army which followed them, and each one killed his man, so the Syrians fled. And Israel pursued them, and Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, escaped on a horse with the cavalry. Cavalry, And the king of Israel went out and attacked the horses and the chariots and killed the Syrians with a great slaughter. And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said, Go strengthen yourself, take note, and see what you should do. For in the spring of the year, the king of Syria will come up against you again. God wants to show himself strong to King Ahab. So he puts King Ahab in a difficult situation. King Ahab's motivation for going to battle is wrong, in my opinion. It's not the way that it should be. He should want to protect the people, but that's not it. He wants to protect whatever the thing is pleasant to his eyes. Yet God brings a prophet to lead King Ahab, and he does it all so that he could see the Lord is strong. They send out a, he gives King Ahab a battle plan. We're going to send out some of the leaders to try to talk to him. When they come out, you kill them, and the, cal- and the cavalry's coming behind them. They're coming, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's like, a, like a two-wave attack within the leaders, and when they start to win, we're going to send everybody behind them. And what happens is he has victory. He has victory. So he chases, he chases the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, off. And here he finds himself in victory. And then in verse 22, the prophet says something really interesting to him. He says, the prophet came to him, king of Israel, and said, Go strengthen yourself, take note, and see what you should do. For in the spring of the year, the king of Syria will come up against you again. Or he's going to come back up against you. He's going to come, come up against you again. I find it interesting that he says this. He gives him three things to do. What does he say to do? Go strengthen yourself. Why would he need to strengthen himself? He just got a victory. He just, he just, he just, beat the, he just sent him packing. He just sent him running. And then we come back to verse 22. The prophet, the, victor, the victory's taken place. The prophet tells Ahab, he says, I want you to do three things. I want you to strengthen yourself. I want you to take note. And I want you to uh, uh, see See what you should do. The word strengthen, it means to make strong or to grow. He's just had a big victory. He's just had a victory over the enemy. He's, and the prophet says, I want you to go home and I want you to make yourself strong. strong strengthen yourself in the Lord. There's another battle coming. Isn't that the way life goes? You're always going to move from one battle to the next, it seems like. There's another battle coming. Strengthen yourself. Number two, it means take note. Take note. That means go home. Try to understand what took place. Understand what happened. How did this take place? And the idea is that he should go home and go, wow, look what God did. God really showed up. We only had 7,000 people. They are, they're going to have a bunch of people. And we, are, we, we had very little, but yet God showed up and gave us that victory. Take note of that. And number, number three, he says, see. I want you to see what you should do. That means figure out how to do battle the next time. 
Figure out, figure out what you're gonna, how you're going to come into battle the next time. Don't just, don't just go home and have a party and go, woohoo, we won the battle. Go home and, and, and spend some time strengthening yourself. Spend some time taking notes. Spend some time seeing what you're going to do next time or what you should do, looking for some direction. And that's true of us too. Because in, 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 in life, we're going to fight battles, aren't we? We're going to have some battles and we're going to have victories in battles. And I think that's a good, you know, oftentimes we saw in, in Elijah's life, his greatest defeat came after his greatest victory. Where, where Jezebel told him that she was going to kill him and he took off running. God used that in his life. But in our life too, when you're in a battle and, you, and, you, and you've had victory over that, instead of throwing a celebration, instead of throwing a party, take those three things to mind. Go strengthen yourself. Continue to get strong. Why? Because the battle's coming again. There'll be another battle. There'll be another temptation. There'll be another thing that comes your way. Understand, take note, means understand what it was that got you the victory. Who it was that gave you the victory. The victory came from the Lord, but he did it in this way. He gave you an out. He showed you this. He, understand how it happened. And the third thing he says, I want, you to, I want you to see what you should do. Plan ahead for the battles. I think sometimes we forget to do that. I don't think we wake up in the morning, and I know that I'm guilty of this. I don't plan ahead for my battles throughout the day usually. I kind of take them as they come. And, I, and, and you know what? That ends up being surprise attacks. And we're not really planning for them. We can do more as believers to expect our battles and to plan for them accordingly and know how are we going to handle it when that temptation comes? How are we going to handle it? You know, we, we see this in, in, in Ahab's life. There's something that he's cherishing greater than his family. Is there something in our life that we're cherishing greater than our family? Is there something, is there going to be something that comes up against, that, that comes up against you tonight or tomorrow or, or later this week? Do you, you know, are, are you aware that there's an enemy out there? Or are we too busy fighting with each other sometimes? Sometimes we're too busy fighting amongst our family. We're not the enemy. He doesn't have to say anything. Just let them go. They're going to destroy each other. I don't have to worry about it. You know, we have to be careful of that. So, so the prophet here gives them some good advice. And I think the, the greatest advice is, hey, guess what? They're coming back. They're coming against you again. And that's what we see happen picking up in verse 23. The servants of the king of Syria said to him, this is the, this is the servants of uh, Ben-Hadad now. They're talking to him. They said, their God are the gods of the hills. Therefore, we were stronger than they were for they were stronger than we. But if we fight against them in the plain, surely we will be stronger than they. So do this thing. Dismiss the kings, each from his position and put captains in their places. And you shall muster an army like the army that you have lost. Horse for horse and chariot for chariot. Then we will fight against them in the plain and surely we will be stronger than they. And he listened to their voices and he did so. In other words, they said, wait, 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 their God is the God of the hills. Our God is the God of the plains. So last time we fought on their territory. They had the home field advantage. This time we're going to have the home field advantage. So this is what you got to do. Everybody that got killed, just replace them, replace them, and we'll do this thing all over again, only we'll do it on our turf. Verse 26. So it was in the spring of the year that Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians, and he went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. The children of Israel were mustered and given provisions, and they went against them. Now the children, children of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats, while the Syrians filled the countryside. Kind of give you the idea of the numbers. Then a man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel, that's Ahab, and said, Thus says the Lord, Because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys, Therefore, I will deliver all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Again, we see God pursuing Ahab. 
He hasn't given up on him. He's still pursuing. Ahab is still the leader of God's people, and God is still pursuing. Verse 29, they encamped opposite each other for seven days. So it was that on the seventh day, the battle was joined, and the children of Israel killed 100,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians in one day. But the rest fled to Aphek, into the city. Then a wall fell on 27,000 of the men who were left. And Ben-Hadad fled, and he went into the city, into the inner chamber. Brutal, huh? Battle, war, it's taking place. But do you see God's fingerprint on that? The, the tri- they were like two little herds of goats, defeated 100,000 people in one day. And then just to make sure that God got the glory, what happened to the next 27,000? A wall fell on them. That had to be a pretty big wall, didn't it? To hit 27,000 people and to kill them. But they, God is pursuing. Why, why, did, why would this happen? Because God is trying to show Ahab that he is God. He is trying to win over the heart of Ahab. He is pursuing Ahab. He wants him to repent and come to God. He wants them to turn to him and turn away from Baal and turn away from the false worship and turn away from the idol worship. And he's doing everything possible to show him that he's God, including defeating the Syrians. That's what he said. I wanted to show you that you shall know that I am the Lord. And he gives them victory yet a second time there in, over the Syrians. It's an amazing, amazing passage there. Look at verse 31. Then his servants said to him, Look now, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Please let us put sackcloths around our waist and ropes around our heads and go out to the king of Israel Perhaps he will spare your life. So this is Ben-Hadad and his servants. They said, look, we heard, the, we heard this thing about Israel. They're merciful. They're merciful. And if, if, we, you know, if we put a rope around our neck and we put sackcloth on and we look like we're mourning and we want to give up, we want to you know, wave the white flag, so to speak, we'll, maybe, maybe they'll let us live. Maybe they'll let us live. That, that's, that's what we're going to try. That's the best plan we've got. Let's try it. Verse 32, so they wore sackcloth around their waist and put ropes around their heads. They came to the king of Israel and said... Your servant Ben-Hadad says, please let me live. And he said, this is Ahab, he says, is he still alive? He is my brother. In other words, we're cool, we're friends. He's my brother, he's like my brother. Now the men were watching closely to see whether any sign of mercy would come from him. And they quickly grasped at this word and said, your brother Ben-Hadad. So he said, go bring him. Then Ben-Hadad came out of him came out to him, and he had him come up into the chariot. So Ben-Hadad said to him, The cities which my father took from your father I will restore, and you may set up marketplaces for yourselves in Damascus, and my father did in Samaria. Then Ahab said, I will send you away with this treaty. So he made a treaty with him, and he sent him away. Was that what God had planned for them? No. God had told the people of Israel to utterly wipe out all the inhabitants of the land way back when they first came into the land. This wasn't the intention of of God is that they would form a treaty, and we're going to know that by the next passage that we're going to read. But Ahab realizes there's a a financial gain in this. Oh, you can set up marketplaces. I'm going to let you you gain financially. I'll restore to you what, what, what my father took, and you can set up marketplaces in Damascus so you can make money in this way. There's something here financially. And what does he say? Okay, all right, that sounds good. Yeah, go ahead, go away. We'll, we'll sign this treaty. We'll, we'll make this treaty. Verse 35, Now a certain man of the sons of the prophet said to his neighbor, By the word of the Lord, strike me, please. 
And the man refused to strike him. This is, this is crazy. So a guy who's a prophet says to his neighbor, hey, will you hit me? In, go ahead and hit me in the face. Hit me right here in the eye, would you? And it's, by the way, it's, it's of the word of the Lord. And the guy goes, I'm not going to hit you in the eye. And he said in verse 36, because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, surely as soon as you depart from me, a lion shall kill you. <laughs> and as soon as he left, the lion found him and killed him. Now this is the word of the Lord. That's what he said. And he found another man and he said, strike me, please. So the man struck him, inflicting a wound. Now, I know someone's going to ask me afterwards, hey, why? I have no idea. Sometimes you read things in the scripture and you just scratch your head and go, why is that in there? Couldn't he have just left it out that he, the guy died and got eaten by a lion? But for whatever I'm sure there's a reason. If maybe, I, I don't know what it is. So he finds another guy. He says, all right, will you punch me in the eye? And he punches him in the eye. He says, okay, good. Now I got a wound. And he says, verse 38, the prophet departed. And he waited for the king by the road and disguised himself with a bandage over his eyes. Now as the king passed by, he cried out to the king and he said, your servant went out to the midst of the battle. In other words, he's going he's he's to cry out a scenario to the king. Oftentimes in that culture, they would look for judgment, for the king to pass judgment. Tell us what we should do in this situation, king. Tell us how we should handle this. So he says that he's going to give them a scenario. He said, your servant went out into the midst of a battle. There was a man came over and he brought a man to me and he said, guard this man. And if by any means he's missing, your life shall be for his life, or else you shall pay a talent of silver. Well, while your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. And the king of Israel said to him, so shall be your judgment be. You, you yourself have decided it. So did you catch the scenario there? The, the, prof, the, the man of the Lord, the prophet says, listen, let's pretend a guy goes out to battle and somebody says, the servant, his leader says, listen, I want you to guard this man. And if you don't, it's going to cost your life. And the man got busy doing this and that. And he woke up and the guy was gone. And the king, King Ahab says, well, then you've already decided your judgment. You know, he was given into your hands and you let him get away. In other words, that's what he's saying. He goes, the enemy was given into your hands. You had control over him. You were over him, but yet you weren't doing what you were supposed to be doing. And you, and he got away. And he hastened, verse 41, and he hastened to take the bandage away from his eyes. So as he's telling the story and King Ahab had just told him, uh, you yourself have decided it. All of a sudden the prophet pulls his bandage off of his eyes and the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. He said to him, thus says the Lord, because you have let slip out of your hand a man whom I'm appointed, who I appointed to utter destruction. Therefore, your life shall go for his life and your people for his people. So the king of Israel went to his house sullen and displeased, and he came to Samaria. In other words, what the prophet told King Ahab is, listen, I brought this man into your life for you to utterly destroy him. He's the enemy of, my, of God's people, of my people, and you didn't do it. And it, therefore, because you didn't do it, it's now going to cost you your life. It's going to cost your life. That's, that's 1 Kings chapter 20, but I want to go over a few points on how we can apply this to our life. We saw in the, in the message that King Ahab was willing to fight for this thing that was pleasant to his eyes. Pleasant in his eyes. My question for you tonight is, what are you willing to fight for? What is it the thing? Is it, what, what is it? Could you be like King Ahab and let your family go on the wayside? As a husband, as a wife, as, you know, even as a single person, what is it that you're willing to fight for? Are you willing to fight for your purity? Are you willing to fight and not allow the enemy to come in and take something from you? Or do you just easily give in as long as this one thing is taken care of? It's just as long as this, as long as this area is guarded, as long as this is okay, then I'm willing to let the enemy in and take whatever he wants. Or better yet, the question could be phrased, what are you fighting for? 
Where, where is the, what are you fighting for tonight? If it's in a marriage, what are, you, are you fighting with your spouse or are you fighting for your marriage? Because there's a whole world out there that wants to tear it apart. Number two, don't forget that God is still pursuing you. We see in King Ahab's life that God was pursuing King Ahab all the way through. All the way through, he's pursuing him, pursuing him, and pursuing him. And even at the very end, it says he went to his house sullen and displeased. He didn't fall on his face and repent. He didn't, he didn't get down and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm just not happy with my outcome. I'm not happy with this situation. I'm just, I'm just sullen, I'm displeased, and, and I'm just going to go home, and that's it. I'm going to go see Jezebel and blame all this on her. It's probably her fault anyways, you know, whatever. I'm going home and kick the dog or whatever, you know. He's having a bad day, and now he's just going home. No, there's no repentance there, no change of heart. Isn't it nice to know that God is still pursuing us, though? Even when you do something stupid. I mean, he, this guy's dumb. I mean, he's not getting it. He's seen some incredible things, but yet God is still pursuing him. Number three, it's important as Christians that we identify the enemy in our life. That we identify that thing that is trying to pull us away from the Lord and pull us away from the things of the Lord. For all of us, it could be different. But you, as you sit here tonight and you're a Christian, I can guarantee that there is an enemy, there is something in your life that you are vulnerable to. There is something in your life that wants to pull you away. It wants to talk to your inner heart it wants to it wants to drag you away from god it's something where you know it's direct disobedience to the lord and it's just something fighting for that and you have to know where that enemy is or who that enemy is or where where, where does that come from you know i i'm not i have to realize that like ephesians says we're not we don't struggle against flesh and blood but against principalities and rulers of darkness and hosts of wickedness heavenly hosts of wickedness of this age there's an enemy out there that wants to destroy you it's not your husband, or it's not your wife, or it's not your boss. It's not, it's not somebody that's flesh and blood. But do you realize that's the battle that we're in? Identify who the enemy is in your life. Who is it that you should be fighting? Are you fighting the wrong enemy? Have you, have you ascribed the enemy to something, somebody other? You know, I mean, Ahab knew who the enemy was. It was the king of Syria. It was Ben-Hadad. It was the 32 kings that were with him. That was the enemy. But oftentimes we could get guilt, we could be found guilty of fighting the wrong enemy. We're not, we're not doing it, we're not fighting the right person. Therefore, we're losing the battle that we should, we're not even fighting in. And number four, I think it's important that said in verse 22, don't neglect the time to prepare. Don't neglect your time of preparation. Oftentimes, before God does something in somebody's life, there's a time of preparation that needs to take place. He told them, He said, I want you to go strengthen yourself, take note, and see what you should do. Oftentimes, as Christians, we need to take count of that and say, listen, am I doing that? Am I strengthening myself? Am I taking note? Am I looking for the wisdom of the Lord to lead me and guide me in my next step? Or am I just kind of wandering on my own and just taking it how it comes and, you know, a bit of a wanderer? I'll just see what, see what comes up next. You know, listen, if, if you're a Christian, go strengthen yourself. Go strengthen yourself. Take note of what God's done, where you are, how you got there, what's taking place, and then figure out what to do next. Don't just wander through life. That's not God's plan that we just aimlessly wander through and just, well, when we find him, we find him. No, it's there. He says that, why are they supposed to do that? Why did he give them that command? He said, because the enemy, the king of Syria will come up against you. The enemy is going to come up against you again and again and again. Don't neglect the time to prepare for battle. Are you preparing? Are you? Yeah, part of of your preparation is being here tonight and, and studying the scriptures together. And number, I guess number five, don't make deals with the enemy. Don't make deals with your enemy. 
Ahab made the mistake of making a deal with the king of Syria. He heard that they were merciful. That wasn't God's plan. God wanted him to utterly destroy the enemy. You too must utterly destroy the enemy in your life. If you make a deal with it, I will only hang out once in a while. I will only do it occasionally. I only let my mind go there when I... I only do it... It's making a deal. It's making a peace treaty with the enemy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow the Lord this much, but occasionally I'm going to go visit that very thing that's trying to pull me away from the Lord, or that very person, or that very mind, or where, whatever it is that kind of wants to pull you away. You must utterly destroy the enemy in your life. In order to destroy it, you've got to know what it is. You've got to know where... Not, not, please don't go out and kill anybody tonight. All right? We're speaking spiritually here. <laughs> okay? Your neighbor is not your enemy. <laughs> Your husband or your wife is not your enemy, all right? I don't want, well, the pastor said, I got to go destroy my enemy, so I took it, I took it to him. No, 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 no. For someone says, that's not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm speaking spiritually, the enemy that's going to attack you spiritually. I, I'm sure everybody got that, right? <laughs> Good. But we need to make sure that we take it seriously. Because just like we see a literal battle going here, there's spiritual battles that will take place in your lives as believers. Are you prepared for them? Are you able to deal with them? You see, the Lord wants you to be victorious in them. And he's given you all that you need. He will fight the battle for you just like he's doing it here. Just like he's, just like he's pursuing. Just like he's doing it here, the Lord will do the work. Was it the great army of Israel and their valiant men that won the battle? No, it was the Lord. And the Lord will do the same thing in you if you will let him. But then once he does, who do you got to give the credit to? To the Lord. You've got to give it back to him. He will, he will, he's given you the out. He's given you the ability. He's given you the power to overcome the enemy in your life. You don't have to succumb to it. But you've got to give him the credit and you've got to give him the glory. And you've got to yield to the work that he's doing. You can't just do it on your own. You've got to let him do that work in you. So when you read and you hear, or the Lord puts on your heart, hey, stop doing this. It's time to stop doing it or whatever it might be. Just a quick review. What are you willing to fight for? God is still pursuing you. Identify the enemy in your life. Don't neglect the time to prepare for battle. And don't make deals with that enemy in your life. Just five things that I pulled out of this passage of scripture for us to take and apply to our life as we read what's going on in Ahab's life. I don't want to be Ahab. I don't want, the God, I don't want God pursuing me and pursuing me and pursuing me and me not listening or not hearing anything at all. Me just going off doing what I want to do. And if I do get off path... I don't want to just go home sullen and displeased. I want to go home repentant with a repentant heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, while it's even hard to understand sometimes all of the battles and the wars that are taking place, yet your hand is sovereignly at work in it. Lord, I have a hard time understanding why you're still pursuing Ahab, where I would have given up a long time ago. But I'm thankful that you're that long-suffering. I'm thankful that you will pursue. and, And even as you're pursuing us, that you don't give up when we do something stupid or when we fail, but yet you're always there to continue reaching out to us and and calling us and shaping us and molding us. So Father, as we see Ahab's rejection of you, may we not be like Ahab. As we see Ahab, you know, victorious, instead of giving you the glory, he's making deals with the enemy. Father, may we not be that way. May we realize that we're victorious in you, that you fight our battles for us, that you are where the victory comes from. May we stand in that. In Jesus' name, amen.